You're listening to Like Like a Real Real Boss Podcast, where we go beyond the title and unravel the complexities of being a boss. If you're a head honcho, top dog, or queen bee, this is for you. Get insight from experienced leaders and passionate workers. This is your wake-up call. Ready and bossified. Now, your host and the real-life boss, Tiana Sanchez. Welcome and thank you for joining another episode of Like a Real Boss. I'm your host, Tiana Sanchez, and I'm so glad that you're tuning in, listening to us today. You might be listening to us on iTunes, maybe Spreaker or SoundCloud. Not sure how you're listening, but wherever you are, make sure you go down to the comment box. Drop us a a comment. Let us know what you enjoyed about the podcast. Let us know what you'd like to hear because we want to hear from you. I believe that this is going to be the best 30-minute investment of your time today because this is our opportunity to pour into you. And isn't that important? This is a place where you get tips, tricks, trends, tools, where we're talking about this stuff so you can be a better boss podcast. And my journey getting me here started a year ago. I started this podcast because it was my way of giving back. I started managing at 17 years old and I continued to manage and grow and learn. I had great mentors and great coaches and people nudging me forward. And sometimes we need that. Sometimes we need that little extra nudge to kind of get us to that next level in our career. And so here we are today, and I'm thrilled. We've had some amazing guests on the show. We've had an opportunity to talk to so many different types of individuals from passionate workers and experienced leaders. And so again, whether you're a brand new boss, maybe you've just been in your position for one month, this is an opportunity for you to learn from experienced leaders. Or maybe you haven't decided if, if the bosshood, if boss kingdom is for you, then this is going to be an opportunity to challenge yourself. Or maybe you're a seasoned leader. Maybe you've been doing this for many, many years, but this is an opportunity for you to recommit and reinvest in yourself. So again, we thank you so much for tuning in. And I'm excited to introduce our guest today who I had the opportunity and pleasure of actually sitting down and talking to. And it was so amazing during our conversation in person that I said, oh, I got to have you as a guest on the show. And it's so cool because you never know who you're going to meet. You never know who the company you're going to be in. And so I just want to take this opportunity to introduce our guest today, Mike Alpert. And Mike Alpert is the president and CEO of the Claremont Club here in Claremont, California. And he's been in that position for over 13 years, but he is not a rookie to health and wellness industry. So he's been doing that for a couple of decades. And he really has a commitment to special needs programs. He started some amazing and phenomenal programs at the Claremont Club that serves people living after cancer, living with cancer, um, special needs individuals. So he's been doing quite a bit over there. And I just want to welcome you to the show, Mike. Welcome. Well, thank you very much, Tiana. It's a pleasure to be with you and your audience today. Well, thank you so much. And so again, I, I told everybody how we got a chance to sit down, but I didn't tell them how it kind of sparked. And so again, you never know who you're going to meet. And I had the opportunity of speaking at an event where it was a ton of HR professionals and there was a woman in the audience and I'm talking on this topic called leadership recharge. And I'm talking about how managers need to be strategic thinkers and the role of CEOs and the role of, of leaders in, in positions and what they need to do to foster more inspiring employees. And I'm looking in the audience and I see this woman, she's just nodding her head and she's smiling. And in the sea of people's faces, she gets it. And I can clearly see that there's something going on. So I made it a point to go up to her afterwards and, and, and chat with her a little bit. And she's just sharing with me. She is 
giving Mike these accolades. It's like she's telling me that this this person that I work with is actually doing all of these things. And she's doing it with a huge smile on her face. And she's telling me this. And I said, I have got to meet this person. So that kind of, you know, spiraled into this one-on-one. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're talking, I'm in his office and he's just sharing this wisdom. And I said, there are so many people out there that need to know this. And so I really want you to just kind of share again, we're going to talk quite a bit about your experience, but just kind of give people a little bit more insight. It's kind of where, what got you where you are today, Mike? Well, first of all, thanks. Um, actually, I, I just celebrated my 20th anniversary at the Claremont Club. My background is basically, I grew up in Southern California, was working with E.F. Hutton at the time and moved up to Central Oregon and started to develop what became a very large health, fitness, wellness, social facility in Bend, Oregon called the Athletic Club of Bend. And I was one of the two managing partners of that club that was opened up in 1991. Short story of a long story is I wound up back in Irvine in 1995 running a large club. That club got sold and I was recruited to come to Claremont, started here August 1st of 1997 in my uh, position and have been here ever since. And the the wonderful woman that you mentioned is our uh, director of human possibilities, Tracy Stepp. And I can assure you the feeling is quite mutual. She's an amazing person, probably the finest person I've ever worked with. That's awesome. And I can clearly see the mutual respect. Again, she spoke in such high regard. I love that there's actually leaders out there such as yourself that are inspiring and that are encouraging. And really, that's our topic today is about leaders that inspire, leadership that inspires. I remember Mike reading this quote. It was actually on LinkedIn, if I'm not mistaken. And it was this picture and I've, it just resonated so well with me. And it said, managers light the fire under an employee. You know, they're that person that again, kind of pushes you to complete the tasks, to get the work done, to, you know, make sure you're, 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 you're on, you're on point, you're being productive, you know, that, that fire that lights underneath you. And then right next to that picture, it said, but a leader lights the fire within. And that to me just created a great distinction that there's some internal inspiration and intrinsic reward, if you will, or inspiration that comes from when a leader inspires. And so that's really what we're talking about today. So congratulations on your 20 year anniversary. I think that's exciting. And I really want to understand because I talk to a lot of different people, Mike, I I'm called in, I'm usually called in as the disruptor. There's usually chaos. There's usually trust issues that are going on within an organization where individuals are not getting along. The communication is not really filtering down. There's so many different things that are happening. And so I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. And quite frankly, it's the ugly. So I want to know, what is the fundamental role of a leader, in your opinion, and why do so many leaders get it wrong? Well, that's a great question. I I think, you know, when when I'm asked what I do, it's real simple. I'm a, a teacher and a coach. And I think that leaders are teachers and coaches. Uh, you made mention of something you read on LinkedIn. I'll give you one other one. I think managers try to become heroes and leaders try to make heroes. So wow. I think uh, I think what what a lot of people in leadership positions get wrong is many times they are so focused solely on the bottom line and making money that they fail fail to realize what moves that bottom line and. 
quite clearly people move that bottom line. I think another thing to be a to be a a, a good leader, you have to be humble and gracious. And I think oftentimes people in leadership positions become more obsessed with control and they don't know how to use that position to inspire and motivate others. And maybe because of uh, ego problems or a lack of self-confidence, they want to do it all themselves. And they're afraid to build great people underneath them that actually are better, much better than they are at specific things that, that those people are responsible for. And so if you can build a great team with really exceptional human beings that really have wonderful hearts and are very talented, give them the opportunity and encouragement to be free thinkers and to create and to take calculated risks um, and to be really, really better than anybody, better than you at what they do. Uh, that's that's probably the secret. And I like what you're saying because I think having been a manager and having started very young and not really having the experience when I was promoted in that position, and I know there's so many managers out there, and you'll hear me use the word synonymously, managers, leaders, although there is a clear distinction. But I know for, for, for me that it wasn't something that I learned. I didn't learn. I didn't know and realize that my position was really coaching, that it was my responsibility to teach others, to help them grow and to develop. I was in this authoritarian role, if you will. And my job was, again, to make sure the schedule was made, to make sure that people did their job, to make sure that we're, you know, giving great output and, you know, we're meeting those goals. Like you said, focusing on the bottom line. And if that becomes your priority and your primary focus, you, you, you miss the human aspect. I was reading another quote and you'll hear me quote a few things, but it said, sometimes we focus on being human doings instead of being human beings. And to me, that again resonated that we, we get, we do get caught up in that bottom line, but recognizing when you have dedicated employees and you're encouraging those free thinkers that ultimately they are going to produce. They are going to be more low and you're going to have the, the natural result will be a viable organization in that, in that bottom line. So again, encouraging those free thinkers, having them become better than you is, I think is what I heard you say. And how great managers become heroes, but leaders make heroes. And so I think so many people get it wrong, but I know when you and I were talking, you were like, this is not rocket science. <laughs> this is really not rocket science. But I tell you, Mike, so many people just don't get it right. And so if you're talking to someone, if you talk to someone right now and say, okay, you know, they're, maybe they're struggling, what would be a step one? What would be something that you would want them to do like on Monday morning when they get to work and they want to infect change and they recognize, hey, I'm not there. I'm not inspiring. I'm not making heroes. I'm trying to become one. What would be one of the first things you would tell them to do? Well, I, th I think the first thing I would say that you have to think of work as fun. Work has to be fun. I think, you know, if you can inspire and motivate people, wonderful people can do incredible things, things that they never thought they could do. So I think leading starts with love. I think it's probably the most, uh, impactful and important word in the dictionary. You have to love what you do and you have to love the people that you work with. Um, here at the Claremont Club, no one works for anyone. We all work with each other. 
And then I think you have to create, regardless of what your company is or your product or services are, you've got to be able to create and maintain meaningful, purposeful work for people. People have to feel that what they do has purpose. And once they get into that mindset and they're inspired by it, they they do incredible things. And then I think the person that came into work that wasn't getting it right, I think he has to roll up his sleeves, be highly visible, and he has to be doing all the things and be seen doing all the things that he's asking other people to do. He's got to prove that he or she is part of the team. I think that's that's where I'd start. And I think also someone that comes into a leadership position that's either been promoted or brought in from the outside, you want to come in and you want to create improvements. You don't want to make changes. You want to make improvements. And the people that you're going to be responsible to and the people that are responsible to you can't be fearful. They have to believe and trust that you're there to not create change, but to develop improvement. And you said the key, the magic word I always hear is the word trust. They have to be able to trust. And quite frankly, a lot of employees just don't trust their leaders for for various reasons. You know, I, I do a lot of reading in terms of studying and I look at Gallup polls and, you know, there's always this 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 range. There's different percentages, but I'll tell you the range is usually somewhere between 30 and 60% of employees that don't trust their leaders. And if you Google that or search, you'll probably get somewhere in between of that of that number. But I think that's a big piece. But work has to be fun. And I'm just going to, you know, again, go back and recap what you said. And, and I don't know that it is for everyone. And how do you, how do you make it fun? And it, and that becomes part of the culture, which we're going to talk about next. But I never heard this before. And I think when we were talking before is leading starts with love. And I think that's a word that we don't use often in our work environment. You know, we might say it's a fluffy word. You know, love is is not, there's no place in it in a work environment. And I would have to disagree and agree with you that leading starts with love, loving what you do, loving the people that you work with, loving, just having that as part of your, your culture, rolling up your sleeves, having, being visible and making sure your people see you out there doing the work that you're a part of it. And I love that you said people don't, no one works for each other at the Claremont Club. Everyone works with each other and being able to create that meaningful work. And so this brings me to this question of culture, because you've obviously created a culture. I got an opportunity to take a tour of the Claremont Club with Tracy. We literally walked the halls, Mike. We did. I think, you know, I pretty much know it now. You know, the, the, the grounds, the beautiful um, area and site and I got an opportunity again just to kind of see everybody working in their in their zone just day to day. Got an opportunity to chat with a few people and just again the environment and the vibe and things just work like clockwork. It's almost magical. And so when we talk about culture, how have you been able to create a culture in addition to some of the things that you've shared that has inspired your staff and your leadership team? Well, you know, when I first came here, everybody was worried that they were bringing me in to create change and to turn things upside down and to get new people in, bring people I knew in, and people were worried about keeping their jobs and all these things. So it, it's a process, you know. You, you start out by trying to get to know all of your staff, your management team, your frontline staff. 
I remember I used to make breakfast for my facility department, for other departments. I eat lunch with them. I talk to them. I get their ideas. Um, I think, uh, I think, like I said, it's a process and, it, and it's not something that happens overnight. You have to gain that trust and you have to build on a culture. So I think people seeing you do things that they have a lot of respect for, things like taking care of people when they're sick, paying them when they're not at work, when they have a, a terrible thing happen in their family and they can't work. We've done those things over the years. We've taken care of people, writing little things like sending birthday cards out with personal messages written in them to all staff on their birthdays, writing thank you notes home to their spouses and their children, thanking them for sharing sharing them with us and they know that they're at work a large portion of their day. And again, creating a sense of an environment where there's meaning. You know, we started from almost day one that I got here. We had a, a manager's retreat and we went away. I took uh, 14 managers away for three days up to Lake Arrowhead and we rented a big house and we kind of did the big chill. We worked together, we stayed together, we cooked together, we played together. And part of that manager's meeting was to say, what is something we can wrap our, our hands around as a company and get involved in that would be giving back to the community? And my day spa and salon manager, Maggie Weeks, had a great idea to start a program that we call Adopt-A-Family. And every year between Thanksgiving and Christmas, we sell raffle tickets to baskets that are raffled off to our members, our hairstylists, and massage therapists, estheticians, personal trainers, Pilates instructors, camp uh, instructors, all give, you know, a year of, of haircuts, a year of massages, a year of personal training, and we raffle these off. People donate enough money mm -hmm. that we're able to go out and adopt about 14 to 18 families that are in wow. terrible positions that need help during the holidays. Mm -hmm. um, and then each one of our staff as a department go out and and visit these families and mm -hmm. see what their needs are. Then they go out and they buy things like bedding and, and clothes and different things, maybe refrigerators that these people uh, need, and they actually deliver them to these people. Mm -hmm. It's uh, had a profound effect. From there, we started other programs. Uh, we started programs where we're involved with House of Ruth here, which is a facility for raped and battered women and children. And uh, from there, we started so many things, uh, you know, partnerships with the Anaheim Angel Baseball Organization, where we donate baseball tickets to financially disadvantaged children in, in schools. We have a, a program with the Ontario Rain Hockey Organization where we do the same thing. We started our Living Well After Cancer program and our pediatric and young adult cancer program and our spinal cord and paralysis center. And these are, these are things where people get family membership to the club. Their children get all 13 weeks of summer camp, field trips, lunches, t-shirts, everything we do free for the time they're in the program. And staff make that happen and staff are deeply involved in these things. And that changes people's lives. It gives them focus and purpose. And it really brings out an amazing, I guess I would say, just a, it brings out things in people that you would never expect. It changes people's lives. And 
I think they they come to respect not me as the president and CEO, but us as a facility and an organization that are doing these things for the right reasons, not not just to make money. And it seems like there's a very strong sense of, I'm going to use the word connectedness, um, uh, unity, and a sense of community within the community, if you will. So there's a sense of community within the team, but also as it relates to the members and the people that they interact with day to day, that there's this sense of meaningful work, which you listed as one of the the items. And I and I jotted down about six things, you know, when you talked about a culture that that inspires. And I'm glad that you shared the story about the retreat. I was going to ask you to share it because I thought it was great. And also, you know, not everything, not all the times do things always go well. And I remember you were sharing about um, bringing the group together and, and also getting to know one another and and the way we operate, our natural working styles and different things and stuff comes out in the in those moments. But then there's also a sense of, of again, togetherness. But I but what I picked up is also it seems like there's this again, this culture of shared ideas. And in today's environments that I've witnessed, again, not often will CEOs invite or solicit ideas from the group. It's my way or the highway. It's either we're going to, or, hey, I can hear from you. Tell me what it is that you're interested in doing, but I'm going to make my own decision and go down this path because I'm the CEO and I'm the president of the company. But here it seems like there's a sense of shared ideas that we're included in the process of developing these meaningful programs. And there there's a sense of input. Would you agree? Well, yeah, I wanted to, say one thing, I do agree 100%. Uh, you know, no one person should or can do it by themselves. And and I want to tell you, I mean, there are people that I work with uh, that have it together much better than I do and are much more creative with their ideas and thinking. And everybody's part of the decision-making uh, process here. Um, you know, that that uh, retreat that you mentioned, that was the first one. Uh, we're on our 19th, actually our 20th one this year. Wow. And it, it, it's a funny thing. You know, when I got to the Claremont Club, the management team was very disjointed. Um, people were very much on their own. And in many cases, uh, there were managers here that were trying to climb the ladder faster than their teammate. Some people weren't getting along together. And I, I, the first retreat we did, I didn't have an agenda. I mean, it was kind of a scary thing. I didn't really know what I was going to do, <laughs> but I, but I knew I had to get them away as a group and I had to try to get them to reconnect and to get on the same page. And uh, I, I did something that, that, that they still remind me that they hated back then. <laughs> I, would, I would intentionally room people together that were having little rifts and weren't necessarily getting along together. And, and an amazing thing happened during those three days. Those people learned that they weren't any different. They all struggled with the same challenges in life. They all had, from time to time, money problems or mortgage problems or kid problems. Um, God forbid no one had a major health problem, but they realized that they were all really nice human beings and they were on the same track, wanted the same things. And so as we left that retreat, um, there was a sense of bonding and a sense of pride and a sense that let's make this work. 
And so I think that was kind of the beginning of what's turned out to be a really wonderful journey for 20 years here at the, at the Claremont Club. And that's also a great, I think, a very creative way to to address, as you put, disjointed. Um, you know, we talk about maybe there's dysfunction or there may be, you know, teams that uh, don't address conflict. They just kind of sweep things under the rug. And I know there's an author who has written the book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni, and he talks about kind of these different um, phases and stages. And, and, and there's so many individuals that talk about how there's a healthy conflict and that we can have these conversations. And so I love how you kind of creatively, you know, put these individuals and forced them to really be, you know, understand and learn something about each other differently. And that in themselves kind of worked, worked it out. And now you mentioned you're on your 19th year, but I think that does something. I think that says something about your your leadership style and say, hey, we're here, we're here together. I'm not going to not put this retreat on because there's two individuals that may, may or not be getting along that I think there's an opportunity for you to learn and understand about one another. And as you mentioned it earlier, they want to see, again, making yourself visible, doing and seeing, being seen, doing those things. So, you know, you're living, you're the living example for them to be able to see that. And so I actually wrote down as we were talking about a culture that aspires before I get to my, one of my final questions, is that I kind of jotted down six key things that, that you shared, Mike. Know, care, trust, personalize, being thankful, and having meaningful work. And so, I, I again, if someone's listening in the audience and they're thinking, you know, I don't really have a good grasp on my management team. As a leader, I've struggled over the last several years or maybe several months because I'm a brand new leader of this great organization and, I, and I'm really struggling. And they may be listening. And so this will be, again... This podcast is about helping you grow and learn and giving you some sage advice, but also some things that you can apply literally when you stop hitting the play button on, on the show. And so knowing your people, gaining that trust and demonstrating a sense of, of caring, genuine care for your people in those moments when they need it the most, sending really strong personalized messages. And I always like this, Mike, is, is feedback or comments or thank yous that actually have meaning not just the the pat on the back, good job, great job, you know, uh, that kind of thing, but really putting some meaning behind it. I really appreciate how you showed up today and contributed to the conversation. Your input was very valuable to the entire team. That is meaningful and personalized um, a feedback or a, a personal message. And what I heard you say that I don't think I've heard anybody, Mike, do is sending thank you, hope, thank you notes home to spouses and children saying, Hey, thank you for, for allowing us to, to have them, you know, with us. We appreciate that. I think that is very unique in itself. And then again, the emphasis on the environment and creating that climate and that, that space in the, the organization. Again, I think it's a community within a community that is demonstrating that meaningful work. And I know that you, you just, again, when we met, it was just like this amazing, presence um, and also just your demeanor, just very humble. And I think that was a word you used earlier, Mike. Um, very, very humble that you do not attribute any of this, you know, this gracious, um, we'll call it for lack of a better word, success that you've, you know, had in, throughout your career and the people that you've worked with. But you did share with me that there was an instrumental person, a person that was instrumental in your life um, as a child, I think that inspired you, that really set a, a huge foundation. Would you share with the audience what you were talking about and a little bit about how that individual inspired you. 
Well, yeah, there, there's been a few that have inspired me. And obviously, I was really blessed to have a wonderful mother and father that really set set the stage for me. I mean, I, when people ask me what I learned from my parents, it's so easy. You know, my my mother taught me how to have patience and tolerance and compassion. And my father taught me how to do good deeds. I mean, I watched my dad all my life do good deeds for people and help people. Uh, my father ran a very large furniture manufacturing facility in, uh, in Corona, California, uh, about a quarter of a million square feet. I remember several times, uh, you know, waking up at in the middle of the night because there was noise in the in the breakfast area of our home and I would go out and invariably there would be my father sitting with one of the people that he worked with, someone that was was a, an associate of his uh his organization, and he'd have a pot of coffee and he'd be talking to him and uh, it would be someone that he had been called in the middle of the night to go from Riverside to Corona down to the jail and pick them up for a DUI. And they'd be back in our living room in our little breakfast area, I should say. And he'd be talking to them like they were his his children, just like he talked to my sister and I. And they'd be crying their eyes out. And uh, they loved and, and respected my dad. And I mean, as a, you know, as a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 14-year-old, you see these things over and over again. And it makes you want to grow up to be someone that people love and respect. And so I, I would say, you know, my, my parents certainly were those those models for me. I'd say another fantastic role model for me growing up was uh, Coach John Wooden, who coached uh, all the UCLA basketball teams and yes. reading and understanding his pyramid of success and and the way he cared about his players and the emphasis he put on education and on uh, completing your goals and not just winning basketball games was such a great inspiration also. He did. And I, again, think that his pyramid of success and how he was able to lead that team, his very unique coaching style and, and really methodology, I think, or philosophy um, that really helped with, with that team. But I, again, when we think about where the foundation was set, when that moment was set for you and how this really, that's why you say it's not, it's not science. It's not rocket science. And now I understand. And I understood when we sat together and you shared the story about your dad and your mom and growing up and seeing your dad work. It was clear to me that this was set years and years ago, that this was set long before you even made a conscious decision to be a part of the Claremont Club or serve on the board of directors at the other organizations or work in the field of health and wellness, that there was something that was set. There was a fire that was lit inside of you long before you ever said yes. And I think that's important to note. And that may, for me, make a difference between those leaders that inspire from within or those individuals, those managers that light, that light a fire underneath. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but I think we're moving to a place that we should be inspiring those individuals, seeking those individuals that are going to be better than us, as you said, that we're not here to try to be the hero, but we're here to make the heroes. And I, again, love that you said, do good deeds. And so, you know, I kind of put a hashtag. I'm like, that's going to be my new hashtag. Just simply doing good deeds is incredible. And so as we wrap up here, and I just want to say thank you again, Mike, for 
for taking time today to talk with us, to help us be better than who we are, to help give us some advice. And, you know, as you talked about John Wooden, do you have your favorite John Wooden quote or a quote that you live by or something that's on your desk every day or, or a mantra that you say that you can share with us as we wrap up and close out? Well, I, I just think that, you know, John Wooden talked about, about love and about the fact that he loved his players. His, his focus was on making sure that they graduated from UCLA. I think to this day, he uh, coached the most players to graduate from a four-year college of any coach in a major, major sport. And I just respected that so much uh, that he cared about his players enough to put their future, whether they played professional basketball or not, to get an education, graduate from college and do something good. And I think the quote from John Wooden that I've used all my life is how he measured success. It wasn't winning or losing. It was doing the best or knowing that you did the best of which you were possibly capable of every day. Exciting. Wow. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. What a great note to to end on. Let me just share with you again that this is an opportunity. If you're in your car listening to the show, make sure you pause, you rewind, you play it again. When you have a moment to really sit down and take notes, I think this is an opportunity for you to take inventory and take stock of where you are as a leader or where you want to be as a leader if you're not there yet. And this is an opportunity to make change happen within yourself, you know, because if you do nothing, nothing will change. So you have to be an instrumental part in making that change happen within yourself. And so again, I just want to thank you, Mike, so much for taking the time today. I've learned a great deal. I again, encourage you to to make sure to go back, listen, take some notes, share this with a friend, share this with someone who you think can benefit from it. Again, you may be joining us on iTunes or Spreaker or SoundCloud, wherever you are, drop us a line. Let us know what you enjoyed about today's show. Let us know if you want to hear some more topics on this about culture and inspiration and leaders. And make sure you go and you visit the Claremont Club. You know, I think it's exciting. Some of the fantastic programs that they have going on down there, some really new innovative things. And I encourage you to stop by, visit, go on their website, make sure to to follow them, look for them. I think it's great. Congratulations again on your 20-year anniversary, Mike. I think that's amazing. So as always, I like to lend, end on this quote, which is everybody wants to succeed, but not everyone is willing to do the work. And if you are willing, I will help you do your work. Thank you for joining. Thank you for listening to Like a Real Boss Podcast with Tiana Sanchez. We are your ambassador, helping you go from good to great to extraordinary. To learn more about awesome offers, training programs, books, and more, head over to www.nolimittoyoursuccess.com. Until next time.